Serving the Lord in a sinful world requires preparation, commitment, and dedication. How can we develop these traits in a biblical, God-honoring way? What principles does Scripture give to us which should inform our ministries of Bible teaching and world missions? Dr. John Whitcomb deals with these questions today in our continuing exposition of the book of Acts here on Encounter God's Truth from Whitcomb Ministries. We're sharing timeless truths for changing times, currently in Volume 5 of this ongoing series, Acts Witness of the Early Church. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we're blessed to share the teaching legacy of Dr. John Whitcomb, creationist pioneer and theologian. You can always access his library of broadcasts, sermons, lectures, and writings at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Dr. Whitcomb taught through the book of Acts through the course of six years at the Independent Fundamental Bible Conference held annually at the Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut. We're glad to bring them to you with the help and permission from our friends there, and we're genuinely grateful for it. In this lesson, Dr. Whitcomb is dealing with themes found in Acts chapters 11 to 13, where we can gain from the experiences of Barnabas and Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, as well as the church in Antioch. Dr. Whitcomb helps us understand how to prepare ourselves for Christian service as he concludes this message called, Readiness for Who's Sending. Here's Dr. John Whitcomb. Do something good in the mind of God, and that is get His thoughts, His priorities, His will, His glory, His plan uppermost in your mind and heart. Repent. Change your mind now. Disaster. Change your mind now. Well, we're not praying for disasters, are we, friends? No, but we're saying, Lord, help us to be very, very sensitized to your plan for fallen mankind in this age. Now, I say, well, Lord, I'm just so impressed with these uh, people here that you've mentioned here, Saul and Barnabas, just to peek ahead a little bit, may we? After the great disaster struck King Herod, as described at the end of chapter 12, uh, what did Barnabas do? Look at the last verse of chapter 12. Just jump ahead with me now, please. And Barnabas and Saul, look who's named first in this team here, this uh, little team, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, Barnabas says, uh, Saul, let's take Mark with us up there to Antioch. Now, uh, what is the purpose of that? Well, uh, Barnabas is related to Mark, in whose home what happened? The great prayer meeting took place, hosted by his mother. Obviously, Mark's father was dead. And uh, so, uh, Mark came from a godly home and a Christ-honoring mother. And uh, Barnabas was related to her, and thus he was, uh, that is, Mark was a younger cousin, apparently, of, of Barnabas. So Barnabas said, he is a wonderful young man, trust me. Uh, let's take him up there to Antioch to help in the ministry of that church, because he can tell those people up there some things about uh, what happened here in Jerusalem that they need to know as a backup, a confirmation of what I'm saying. Okay? I have two Jerusalemites going up there with, with Saul back to Antioch. Well, sad to say, dear friends, when the church of Antioch, according to chapter 13, chose Saul and Barnabas to be their first uh, supported official missionaries uh, to the 
farther regions of the Roman Empire in what is today Turkey, Cyprus, and then Turkey, uh, you remember what happened to Mark? He backed out. As they entered the robber-infested territory and the 120-mile hike they had to make over the mountains to get up there uh, into Antioch of uh, what is today Turkey, Mark said, I'm going, I'm going back to mother. I'm out of here. I can't take it. Paul was absolutely devastated. Absolutely devastated. And so uh, when they came back to give a report of their ministry to the church of Antioch, some time passed, and we read at the end of chapter 15 that Barnabas said to Saul, let's, let's start another missionary journey and take Mark with us, to which Paul said what? No, I am never going to take on a dangerous mission a proven failure. And Barnabas argued with him. I mean, it became a paroxysm is the Greek word between Barnabas and, and Paul or Saul. Paul by now. And uh, who was right? Barnabas said, he, he has repented, sir. Uh, he has matured. Trust me. I know him and I love him. And, and by the way, Barnabas was right. Because later on, Mark is highly commended by Paul and shows up, you know, uh, in Rome to help Paul and, and other places. And, and Paul says uh, in his last letter, 2 Timothy 4, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, Timothy, for he is useful. He's useful to me for service, for ministry. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't that encouraging? So, uh, so Barnabas was right, wasn't he, about Mark? But may I suggest this? Uh, Paul was right too. In what way? As a mission policy, as a principle of operation, you don't take proven failures to dangerous mission fields. But Mark was an exception to the rule. Now, is it okay to have a rule, a guideline? Yes. Is it possible to have exceptions? Yes. So they're both right. And what ended up? Two separate teams of missionaries go forth now. Barnabas took Mark and Paul took who? Silas. Uh, I have a, I'd like to make a suggestion. Barnabas was right. Paul was right. And God was right. <laughs> Ever heard of a church split? Let's pray that every church split you are ever involved in will result in better churches, more churches. Isn't that a wonderful way to start new churches? <laughs> well, not the best way, friends. And it wasn't probably the best way for Paul and Barnabas to split. But uh, later on, of course, Paul admitted that Barnabas was still his friend, as he mentions him in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. And I say, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you for uh, what you t tell us about those men. Now, now Mark apparently was uh, also adopted by Peter because in Peter's letter, he says that uh, she who is in Babylon, perhaps a feminine description of the church, the tr a true church now in Babylon among the Jews there that he had a part in, uh, he adds this statement. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, writing to his, the diaspora of Hebrew Christians to whom he addressed his first letter, she sends you greetings, so does my son Mark. So uh, Barnabas was uh, sort of a, 
uh, foster father, we might say, to Mark. And Peter became one. And uh, we all have come to understand, which I think this is a general agreement among New Testament uh, scholars, that uh, the Gospel of Mark, the second Gospel, was written under the direct influence and guidance of Peter. You might say that, therefore, in a real sense, it's Matthew, Peter, Luke, and John. Because Luke was written, of course, under the jurisdiction, you might say, of Paul, who uh, got Luke down to the Holy Land to interview Mary and other people to write his gospel. He was a, a superb historian, you know, investigating. He says accurately from the very beginning, Luke says, in the beginning of his gospel. So you might say that uh, the four Gospels then would be something like this. Are you ready? One, Matthew, Levi, remember the tax collector. Then Mark, that is Peter. Okay. Then Luke, that is Paul. <laughs> and John. Uh, just some thoughts of the little teams that God brought together to produce these works that ultimately, of course, we realize came from the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. Now, at the end of chapter 11 of Acts, please turn back with me there for a moment. It says that this offering, this offering was uh, sent to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, that is the first time, friends, that the word elders appears in the book of Acts. And uh, more and more throughout the New Testament, and Timothy and Titus and James and Peter and John and so forth, we have elders, elders, presbyteroi, as those who are prominent in the leadership, bearing, sharing in the responsibility under the uh, pastor-teacher of the local assemblies and congregations of the early church. Uh, and I, I say, well, well Lord, that, that's uh, so important that they don't just give it to James, the pastor, but to the elders, and it's very wise, isn't it, for a local assembly not to have the pastor receive all the offerings himself. Isn't it good to have responsible people who share in the financial material ministry of the church also? And Paul was very sensitive, wasn't he, to the possible accusation, uh, you know, of being uh, dishonest. I want a whole team of people receiving all this money later on in his ministry, remember, to bring more money back to Jerusalem, which is the reason he came back at the end of the book of Acts. I don't want anybody to question my honesty, my motives in handling this money. So uh, uh, Paul was, was so concerned, so concerned about how this would be handled. Uh, later on, when he wrote to the church at Rome, he told them that uh, one of the things that he was very, very anxious to do, of course, was to take all this money that he had collected from the Gentile churches in the north and to deliver that to the church at Jerusalem, uh, after which then he hoped to go to Spain and westward and uh, go to Rome and so forth. This was a major, major concern of Paul in years to come. How can we help the saints in Jerusalem? You say, well, now, wait a minute here. Uh, wh what's, what's wrong with the saints of Jerusalem? Would you like to know? They were starving to death. Not just because there was a famine, but because what? Persecution by Jerusalem 
Jewish leaders. They were all excommunicated. They were all uh, harassed, tormented. I mean, just because Saul of Tarsus was out of the picture as the chief persecutor doesn't mean the persecutions ended. And these Jerusalem saints, dear friends, who had marvelous privileges, you see, as being what? The first church in the world was also the most suffering church in the world, the most persecuted church, afflicted church, physically starving. So uh, the Gentiles say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bond with that church in Jerusalem and to show our love for them by a sacrificial offering. Now, I, I think maybe, help me if I'm wrong here, that because of Agabus giving a prophecy, they were able to collect all the money before the, the famine started. They anticipate, they believed the prophecy and therefore started collecting the money before they were all starving. Okay? And sent it down there to Jerusalem. Now again, uh, help me through this little chronological question. Did these men arrive, Barnabas and Saul, before the events of chapter 12? I think they arrived after these events because uh, what happened in chapter 12 happened in, in AD 44 when Herod died, but the famine didn't come till 46. So I believe that chapter 12 gives you a background, you see, of what's going on in Jerusalem with persecution of, you know, martyrdom of James and, and the potential martyrdom of Peter and so forth. And, and, and after that's all over with, King Herod Agrippa I is dead. Then it is that the delegation from Antioch arrives, that is Barnabas and Saul, and deliver this uh, gift and it says in the last verse of chapter 12 that Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, a sad footnote. Peter has been spectacularly, miraculously released in answer to the fervent, effectual prayer of the church in Jerusalem. And all it says about him in chapter 12 after that is what? End of verse 17. And he, Peter, departed and went into another place. Okay. Now, may I mention a place to which he went? He went up to Antioch. And what happened there? It was awful. Turn to Galatians with me, please. Let's begin with chapter 2. Verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. Now, many New Testament scholars, I, I personally prefer this view, when Barnabas and Saul brought this gift, you remember, down to the church of Jerusalem, they also, here it tells you, brought Titus with them. Why? They wanted to be very sure that uh, this was exhibit A of what they're doing in the ministry up at uh, Antioch. Namely, they are accepting uh, with, uh, you know, water baptism confirmation as a full member of the body in Christ and the local church, a total 100% Gentile. That's what Titus was. Now, see, Timothy was sort of half, half and half, you remember. But Titus was 100% Gentile. He, he's exhibit A, a test case. They brought him with him. They, they brought him with them. And what happened to Titus? 
Verse 2, and I went up by revelation and communicated, that would be the revelation of perhaps by Agabus, and uh, communicated unto them that, that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, such as the apostles, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. I want to be very sure, says Paul to the Galatians, that I was doing a legitimate, bona fide, genuine ministry for the Lord and not compromising divine principles. Okay? But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatever they were, it makes no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. He's talking, I presume, of the twelve apostles. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So when James, that's the pastor of Jerusalem church, and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave unto to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go into the heathen and they under the circumcision only they would that we should remember the poor that is the starving jews in jerusalem christian jews the same which i was always forward to do so far so good thank you peter for agreeing with john and the pastor james that what barnabas and saul were doing in antioch was legitimate under god because of what their approval of Titus being an example, Exhibit A, of a Gentile Christian. Don't you wish the chapter ended there? Look what happened next. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Oh, no. Paul, can anyone get along with you, Paul? You can't get along with Barnabas. You can't get along with Mark. Now you can't even get along with Peter. Can can I mean? Do you, well, finally, you know, you know, at the end of of his life, he said, "I only have one man who's like-minded. Who was that? Timothy." Hmm. He finally said to Timothy, "All they of Asia have forsaken me. All the Ephesian elders that I trained at the school, they've all forsaken me." That doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means they just couldn't quite get in tune with the absolute obsession of Paul the Apostle with the whole counsel of God and the absolute, I mean, I'd like to know more about that, wouldn't you? Wait a minute, he's the chief apostle. Paul, are you sure what you're doing here? Well, what, what happened? Verse 12, for before that certain came from James, that is the party of the circumcision, these were the what? the strict legalistic Christian Jews of Jerusalem, a minority group, by the way, that James the pastor later in chapter 15 rejects. Watch it now. Certain came from James, or said they did. He did eat with the Gentiles. He ate with Gentile Christians, table fellowship. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with, now watch this sad footnote, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Poor Barnabas. 
I mean, wouldn't you understand why he would follow the example of the Apostle Peter? See? And all of a sudden, everything that had been worked out, you'd see back there with the Titus situation and, and the Cornelius situation, remember, has collapsed. Short memories. You say, we never forget anything we're ever taught. Careful. Hmm. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. I mean, a public sin demands a what? A public confrontation. Discipline. For the glory of Christ and the God. By what would have happened if, Saul, if Paul had said, I can't speak openly against Peter. Let's just let this one go. The church of Jesus Christ would have been split right down the middle. Hebrew Christians over here would have no fellowship, table fellowship with what? Gentile Christians. The church would have been split right there. It would have been a colossal catastrophe. If Paul hadn't said to Peter, you stand condemned. You can't eat with Gentiles. And then all of a sudden tell the Gentiles, you are not acceptable. I'm going over to the Jewish table to eat. You can't do that, Peter. By the way, has Peter in previous portions of the New Testament given occasional reputation for acting or th talking before he thought? Thank you. <laughs> of course, friends. I said to Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles like you have been eating with them and not as do the Jews, why, why do you compel the Gentiles to live now as the Jews do? I mean, who, who are you? Are, are, you a, are you a Jew or a Christian? What are you, Peter? And of course, he goes on and on, verse after verse. And I say, well, Lord, I, I'm, just, I'm collecting videotapes. That's one I want. How about you? I want to see what, how, I mean, did he make himself a permanent enemy of Peter? No. Aren't you glad that in his last paragraph of his last epistle, Peter said this of Paul? I love this. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you these things in which are what? Some things hard to be understood. Amen. Which the ignorant and unstable twist as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Thank you, Peter. Peter said at the end of his life, count me, I'm of Paul. I don't understand everything he wrote. He's very confrontive. He's a fundamentalist. <laughs> and I at times am fluffy and frothy, but I need him. Thank you, Lord, for our beloved brother, Paul. Isn't it fascinating And you trace through the New Testament, Acts and the Epistles, how these prominent people relate to each other and to God and to the transition uh, confusion from what? Israel to the church in the foundation phase of church history. And I say thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book, the Bible, and this precious book of Acts, that we might therefore grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord through what? The washing of the water by the word. Let's pray. Now, Father.
I just thank you for this book of Acts and the privilege you've given me in recent years of doing a study I had never done before, and I want that to be true of every book of the Bible until you come, that every book will be precious as I see how each book sheds light on every other book. And it's a living organism, irreducibly complex, in which every part needs every other part. Help us to grow in grace, therefore, through the Word, that we might be able to stand firm and not be vacillating like even the Apostle Peter was on, on occasions, and be firm but we trust gracious and loving. And I, I've come to believe that Paul never loved Peter more than he did that day. When for Peter's good and the good of the church and the glory of God, he withstood him to his face. May we be gracious and yet firm for, for Jesus' sake. And we thank you for this week and these days and hours together. I pray in the precious name of our Savior and for his glory. Amen. God's word is true from the beginning to the end. That theme will be so powerful as we proceed through this fifth volume of studies on the book of Acts titled, Acts, Witness of the Early Church. We look forward to continuing it with you right here next week. Dr. John Whitcomb also co-authored a commentary on the book of Acts with Pastor George Zeller of Middletown Bible Church, where these messages originated. You'll find it included in the free resources we offer on our website at whitcombministries.org. Also, find our latest news at facebook.com slash whitcombministries. Until next time, for all of us at Whitcomb Ministries, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for joining us here today on Encounter God's Truth.